This week on Medical Minefield, nutrition professor Gunter Kunler. If there really is something causes problems with a subgroup of ultra-processed foods, we will not find out because we just lump them all together and say they are bad instead of trying, well, actually, what is the problem? How can we deal with it? And food policy expert Rob Percival. The issue that we're facing is that these foods make up more than 50% of the average shopping basket in the UK. So I think what we need to be talking about here is rebalancing the diet away from ultra-processed foods towards healthier processed foods and more fresh foods. Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Eve Simmons and I'm a health journalist who spends her life asking tough questions to top experts so you don't have to. This week we're asking what on earth is ultra-processed food and is it really the reason why the nation has a problem with obesity? As always, we'd love to hear what you think on this topic and any other topic. Please get in touch on Twitter at MedMinefield. Now, in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, I have written some thoughts about ultra-processed food, which has been the sort of big bad wolf of the dietary world in the last few years. And I'm sure that my piece will spark a bit of a debate because it's sort of going against what most of the most popular diet gurus have been saying for the last few months anyway. For those of you who aren't familiar with the definition of ultra-processed food, which is said to be behind the rising rates of diabetes, heart problems and all sorts of obesity-related health issues in the UK, the definition of ultra-processed food comes from a Brazilian study which was published in 2016. And a group of researchers came up with the idea, based on research, that certain types of food were related to higher rates of obesity and its related diseases. They found that people who ate lots of this ultra-processed food or even processed food were more likely to go on to develop health problems that were related to carrying too much weight. So they came up with four groups of food and the first and most kind of healthiest is unprocessed food or minimally processed food. So things like fresh meat, fresh fish, dried nuts, anything that hasn't really been made in a factory and is as close as it can be to its natural form. Then there's a second group, which consists of things like condiments, so vinegars, etc., which are still seen as quite natural, but a little bit processed. And then we move on to processed food. So that's tinned fruit, smoked meat, unpackaged fresh supermarket bread. So like the loaves that you might see on the bakery counter in the supermarket, those are all processed and should be limited. And then group four are the sort of worst, absolute avoid at all costs food they are ultra processed food and that includes mass-produced packaged bread pasta sauces cereal and fruit yogurts and lots and lots of other things the scientists argue that the reason why lots of western countries have a problem with obesity is because we can't get enough of this ultra processed food and it makes up most of our diets and that's a huge problem now this opinion has sparked quite a lot of debate among some of the UK's top dietitians on Twitter, I also have had a bit of a problem with it. I believe that eating healthily is not that simple. There's lots and lots of reasons why we have a problem with obesity in this country. And just putting it down to the way that foods are processed is very simplistic. Also, lots of processed foods are actually perfectly healthy and balanced and nutritious. It might seem 
like a far-fetched idea and you might not believe me, but if you look at the packets on some of the food in the supermarkets, you'll see that actually the calories aren't that high. And often, for instance, with something like a cake, if you make it at home, it's going to be much fattier, much more sugar than it would be if you bought it from the shelf because there's lots of rules that the government have put on food manufacturers now to try and reduce the sugar in their foods. Now, we're talking about this this week because the British Nutrition Foundation put out a interesting statement last week that suggested some of Britain's most loved ultra-processed food, things like baked beans and even frozen fish fingers, were in fact perfectly healthy, should be included, could be included as part of a healthy, nutritious, balanced diet. Nothing wrong with them. The Healthy Eating Brigade on Twitter went pretty crazy at this, thought it was the most ridiculous thing that had ever been said by a nutrition authority in the UK. And lots of influential diet gurus, many of them have written several books on how to eat healthily, went on a big rant about how it was stupid. And in fact, baked beans aren't that healthy. Fish fingers aren't that healthy. And it then kind of spiralled People on Twitter started asking questions about, well, what about packets of flour? Is that processed? Is that allowed? And you then had this ridiculous situation where some nutrition experts were giving advice about things to avoid in the supermarket, stuff that people really rely on and that's cheap and practical and easy. And lots of people seemingly becoming very panicked by this idea. So there's clearly a lot of confusion about ultra-processed food. I, I can see my producer, Julia, putting her hand up. She wants to ask a question. Yes, Julia? I mean, I am of the understanding that ultra-processed foods are bad for you, but I understood it to be bad for you because of the additives that are in mm. it that you don't actually cook with. Like you don't cook with corn syrup or emulsifiers, mm. you know? So aren't those the things that are bad for you? So there is limited evidence. Well, we're going to have to speak to an expert who knows more about this than I do. But from what I understand, I think there's limited evidence that additives are quote unquote bad for you. They all have to undergo rigorous checks by the food standards agency in this country to even make it into a product and often they're actually derived from natural ingredients so like citric acid for example is put in a lot of foods that has an e-number but it's just from an orange so mm. um and you know these things have been used to help preserve food extend shelf life which is really important and means that we don't get food poisoning mm. but i mean emulsifiers sound kind of scary though I mean, an egg white is an emulsifier. Oh. Or it might be an egg yolk. I don't know. Well, let's talk, let's talk to someone now who knows what he's talking about. Joining us now is Gunter Kuhnler, who is a nutrition professor from the University of Reading. Gunter, the ultra-processed food argument is something that you've been very much involved in and vocal about. Can you tell me what your problems are with the, I guess, vilification of ultra-processed food? I think there are... More, there's more than one problem. The, the first problem I have with it is that the definition, in my opinion, is incredibly vague. I haven't seen one clear definition. There are many different definitions which are slightly, they change always slightly, then there are sort of simplifications which claim, oh, if it's more than five ingredients. It's not very clear. In my point of view, if you can't define something clear, you can't really make any statement about it. That's the first problem I have with it. The other one is that ultra-processed food as a concept combines so many different types of foods, some of which are probably most nutritionists would agree have no problem health-related at all. Say fish fingers, it's, a, it's an easy way to boost fish intake. It contains fish and bread. Others, 
say, for example, some breakfast cereals or some 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 snack bars or so, are incredibly sweet and contain a lot of sugar and and and, and other things which one shouldn't really eat in excessive amounts. And then it includes infant formula and food for for special medicinal purposes. It's such a huge range of foods which have so many different impacts on health, and they're all combined to this term ultra-processed food, and then in the next step said, oh, they're bad for you. And I think that's too simplistic. And the problem with this is, apart from that, we probably cause a lot of distress to people who buy them because they believe they have to buy some more expensive food to be healthy, which, which is wrong. The other problem is, if there really is something causes problems with a subgroup of ultra-processed foods, we will not find out because we just lump them all together and say they are bad instead of trying, well, actually, what is the problem? How can we deal with it? Is it true that all of the additives and chemicals in ultra-processed food is causing a problem? I mean, if you look at the ingredients on the back of some of the packets of these foods, you know, you wouldn't find a lot of them in your kitchen cupboard. Well, so all the additives that are used have been assessed and are licensed. That's under EU regulations. Their risk assessed, their license I have been part of, of EFSA panels who have been involved there, and the process is reasonably robust. Of course, we can always question this, and I think we will always find new information and things will change. But I think from the data we have at the moment, there's not really any reason for a healthy person to be concerned. You will always then find someone who says, oh, yes, but if someone is gluten intolerant, they can't eat wheat. Yes, that's true, but that doesn't mean that wheat in itself is unhealthy. The data we have on additives does not suggest that there's any risk. What we often hear is that they might impact the gut microbiome. And that is something which, which regulators are aware of. That The problem with impacting the microbiome is if you have a high-fiber diet and change to a low-fiber diet, it will impact your microbiome. A lot of things impact your microbiome. The problem is we don't really know whether this impact means it's adverse or it's beneficial or it is just simply happening. I think making a claim that, oh, because there's something in there and in very, very high amounts, it causes a change. That's why we have to be very scared about it. I think that's not the right approach. I guess playing devil's advocate, Gunter, as we know, messages that are simplistic are the most effective at driving behavioural change with the public. And I guess that by informing the public that ultra processed food is on the kind of unhealthy side and you should avoid it does that not just make it easier to make a decision i mean if you look at a lot of the ultra processed food products that are on the shelf a lot of them are high in calories high in sugar high in salt high in fat so by just saying well it's best to veer away from the ultra processed food is that not just a simple rule to live your life by well, yes, you could do that, um, but it's going to be very expensive. Let's take an example. All supermarket bread has been, by many people, classed as ultra-processed. So you couldn't buy any bread in the supermarket anymore, but you would have to go to your local baker, who probably might use exactly the same additives because bakeries tend to use them as well. So you have to go to an artisan baker and buy your bread there. So I don't really know, because where I live, we don't really have an artisan baker, but I don't know how much this bread costs. But it would definitely be more expensive than the bread you would buy in the supermarket. You couldn't buy a lot of other things, and the alternative would be more expensive. Let's take my, my favorite example, the fish fingers. I, I like them because they're a really nice example of using products which couldn't be sold. Otherwise, it's, it's sort of the part of the fish you can't really sell as a fillet anymore. It's put together. It's cheap. It's easy to make. And it's an easy way to increase fish intake, especially in children, where feeding fish sometimes is a bit more difficult. So what is the alternative? You buy actual 
fish, which is fine, but then you have to cook it. It doesn't store as long. You can't, well, you can freeze it, but it's, it's, it's much, much different. So it will be much, much more difficult. And for some people, this will not be a problem at all. People who have time to cook, who like to cook, that's perfectly fine. But we need to think also of people who might not have the time to cook or the skills to cook or not can't just simply afford to buy an artisan sourdough bread. That's a bit of exaggeration, obviously, but you can't afford to buy this. And I think with public health, you need to think about, if you do a recommendation, you need to think about everyone. And saying ultra-processed food is bad, fine. I disagree, but let's say ultra-processed food is bad. Now, we are people saying, oh, I can't really take frozen peas because they're processed. No one calls frozen peas ultra-processed, but it's sort of this creep. It's this creep towards purity. I can't have frozen foods anymore because they're ultra-processed. That becomes difficult. A healthy diet is actually quite simple. It's a balanced diet. And I think you could probably have a diet of almost exclusive ultra-processed food and be perfectly healthy. That's a bold statement. That is a bold statement. I'd like, perhaps, in a future piece, do exactly that and see what happens. I, I think it's, it wouldn't be difficult. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. It would require some thinking and planning, but then a diet which is special always requires some thinking. Mm. Mm, absolutely. The the other thing that is often tabled in this debate is the idea that these foods are addictive. There's something in them that makes you seek out more and more food. And I mean, I have to say that the times when I have been maybe a bit sad and had, you know, packets of crisps and, and, and chocolate, etc., there is something about it that does make you want to keep eating and not be able to stop. Whereas if I have a lovely home cooked meal, I'm I'm very quickly full. Is there anything in that? It's an interesting question. I think you don't know why this is the case. But of course, on sweet snacks, you, you can overeat. I can overeat on a, on a cake I buy in supermarket on a ready-made cake, and I can overeat on a cake I made at home with only the usual ingredients you find in a, in a kitchen. So I wonder whether the overeating might just be more the composition. And then, of course, ultra-processed food, is probably is often easier to chew and it's, it comes in handy packages and so on. That might all play a role, but I think we need to understand that. And I think that by saying all this group of foods is bad, we lose the opportunity to look at what is actually the problem and deal with it. We want to have a better food system. We want to provide food to people. We can either do this by restricting choice and saying you can only eat or you should only eat the things we approve of. But experience says it doesn't really work. It, it worked incredibly hard with smoking. And that was a single thing. And we had a lot of government intervention to get to where we are with smoking. Now, food is so much more complicated. You don't have to smoke. You can live happily without smoking. You can't live without food. For my approach is, why don't we try to make the food healthier? Why can't we think about what is it in ultra-processed food that causes problems? I think we need to understand much, much more and, and having a fashionable term like ultra-processed food. It reflects on the real causes because it's, it's not just one thing, that there are so many things which feed into obesity to sort of assume that it's one single thing which is causing it. I think that's, that's too simplistic. One big problem we know of obesity are social factors, income, deprivation, and so on. We don't solve deprivation and, and poverty by removing ultra-processed food. It's two different things. We need a much bigger approach to address this than just looking at one single thing which is popular. Well, Gunther, thank you so much for coming on and chatting about this. It was fascinating. Thank you. I have a question. Uh-huh. 
I'm just a lay person, but in all of the studies that I've read articles about, mm. ultra processed foods are always the bad guy. Mm-hmm. They always are linked with higher rates of heart disease and even low mood I was reading. Mm. So the thing is with ultra processed food, again, like Gunter was saying, because it's such a broad term and it encompasses a whole load of different foods, a lot of those foods tend to be high in calories, high in sugar, high in salt, high in fat. Also, you have the type of people who are more likely to have diets higher in ultra processed food are also more likely to be the type of people who smoke, who drink more, who are on lower incomes, who have lifestyles that are not conducive to necessarily the the kind of being in optimum health. And all of the studies have looked at associations. So that means that there's lots of different factors that are interplaying with the food that these people are eating. But that's why just kind of tarring all ultra processed food with the same brush is pretty unhelpful. Because, for instance, like Gunter was saying, frozen fish fingers is ultra processed food, but a Krispy Kreme donut is ultra processed food. A fish finger is extremely low in calories and very nutritious. Even if it's deep fried? Even if it's deep fried. I don't I... actually think that it's deep fried. I no? think that they're baked. Oh. I think they're bread. I baked. thought that in the processing of them, they're right. deep fried. And then when you reheat them, they're baked. So if you think about what deep frying actually means, why is it unhealthy for you? Do you know why it's unhealthy? Because it has trans fats? No. No? Okay. No. We've got rid of a lot of trans fats in, our, in products and supermarkets. Oh, I didn't know mm-hmm. that. But actually, that's a whole other topic because okay. it's not really that bad. Anyway, so it, it basically means that a lot of oil, sunflower oil has been used, vegetable oil, which is high in calories and high in fat, saturated fat. Mm. However manufacturers come up with different ways of cooking foods to make sure that they're not using a huge quantity of oil. And if you look at the amount of saturated fat in a fish finger, it's actually very low. Oh, well, I guess time to incorporate fish fingers (laughs) into my diet. (laughs) I love a fish finger sandwich. You know, I can't say that I've ever had one, but my husband, whenever, if we ever go to McDonald's, he likes to get the McFish. Filet of fish. Filet of fish. McFish, whatever. Which I kind of cringe at, but you know, whatever. We're walking into McDonald's. Can you really be cringing at anybody in there? I'm going to say that some of the meals in McDonald's also relatively low in calories. Yeah, I think they have kind of made a demon of McDonald's when they're just. If you look at the nutritional profile of a lot of foods that you would think are bad for you, I think you'd be quite surprised. Also, I spent a lot of time this week looking at back of packets of food. And I think that food manufacturers have done a really good job in reformulating. So you'll find that a lot of the like ready meals, for instance, if you look at the ingredients, there's not a whole list of as long as you're on. A lot of the things like, for instance, I was looking at a packet of um, uh, Sainsbury's microwavable pasta bake with tomato and mozzarella looks, as you would see in the packet, ready meal processed rubbish but you look on the back of the packet it's almost identical to the ingredients that you would use if you were making it at home wow i mean i i have to say one of my favorite chips is a corn chip that they don't have here it's fritos mm. they're delicious and is that I, a chip or a crisp it's a crisp i guess right <laughs> a corn chip okay like a tortilla chip yeah and they're fantastic and i got a side eye from a boyfriend i dated who was very health conscious And he grabbed the packet and he looked at it. It had three ingredients, corn, corn oil, and salt. They're fantastic. I don't know what they do. They're just so much better than a regular corn chip. But now I feel less guilty eating them. Uh, Just knowing that they're... smacked him around the face with the 
chips? I laughed at him right in his face. Okay, good. I'm glad. Well, now I think let's talk to somebody who doesn't agree with me. (laughs) On the line now is Rob Percival, who is a food policy expert with the Soil Association and author of the book, The Meat Paradox. Rob, what is your problem with ultra processed food? So I think the issue that we're facing is that these foods have become so prevalent in our diet. They make up more than 50% of the average shopping basket in the UK. And we now have a really compelling body of evidence suggesting that that an ultra-processed dietary pattern is is associated with weight gain and poor health outcomes, as well as various environmental impacts. So I think what we need to be talking about here is is rebalancing the diet away from ultra-processed foods towards healthier processed foods and more fresh foods. But I guess critics would say that it's such a broad term, ultra-processed food. And are we not just confusing people by saying avoid all of these foods that are in a packet when actually some of them may be perfectly healthy? Yeah, I think there's there's a really important distinction to be made. There are sort of three conversations we need to have, really. There's what does the science say? What are the implications for government policy? And then how is any of this communicated to the average person, the average citizen? And actually, there's really good reason in the realm of science to think that this dietary pattern needs to be addressed. And there's lots that the government can do about that without even talking to people. They could be regulating the food system. They could be changing public procurement rules, shaping what's served in schools and hospitals. They could be putting encouraging price promotions on um, healthier food. There's, there's lots that government can be doing without us even having to be brought into the conversation. And then when we look at citizens and, and what families are doing, I agree that the messaging needs to be very careful. We're not talking about banning ultra-processed food, we, we just need to have a conversation about what it means to eat more healthily and, and, and try and unpick this really complicated food environment that we live in where ultra-processed products are, are all around us. What would you say to somebody on a very low income who maybe lives in a space where they don't have a huge access to cooking utensils, spices, that kind of thing? And, you know, they're used to eating mostly ultra processed food. Maybe they have children. That's what their children like. And it's quite a faff to have to start from scratch and cook something that their children may well throw in the bin. What would you say to somebody like that? Yeah, well, I I wouldn't suggest that they start avoiding them. No, I think, first of all, don't worry too much about it. This food environment is is larger than any one of us. The most important thing to do is to feed the family the healthiest way that that you have within your means. And that might well involve various ultra-processed foods. Lots of processed foods are healthy. So if we're talking about frozen veg and tinned tomatoes and tinned fish and so on. So you, you shouldn't feel bad about the environment that's around you or the choices you're making. It's ultimately the government's responsibility to fix this. If anything, you should feel angry that the food system has become so stacked in favour of unhealthy foods that it's really difficult, actually, to find a way through. But when the public hear these kinds of messages from influential people in the diet space, do you think that's really what they think? I mean, I, I personally take it on board myself and think, oh, well, I need to make different choices. Do you not think that that's really realistically the messages that people are picking up? It is one of guilt and shame. Well, I think that guilt and shame are best avoided in all this. I think you can take the message that different choices need to be made without feeling guilty or ashamed of the choices you're making. There are real challenges that families are facing around just putting food on the table. Um, Many people don't have the means to cook and ultra-precious foods are all they can get their hands on. The most important thing is that we're having this conversation in society and thinking about, well, how how do we go about shifting this? If if there's a, a healthier food system that we all want to achieve. How do we go about attaining that? 
we can just do the best we can as individuals. And, and I think it's really important not to feel ashamed or guilty. I, I have to be honest, Rob, I've been looking at the back of lots of packets of ultra processed food. <laughs> and for instance, you know, there's uh, pasta sauce is often something that's vilified and said to be, uh, you know, containing lots of hidden sugar. But however, I, I found a jar of bolognese sauce on one of a popular supermarket shelves, which contains just 29 calories a portion. And I think there's about a teaspoon of sugar and hardly any salt and fat. Not much different to what you might get from a pasta sauce that you might make at home. It must be said also that most of the sugar comes from the tomatoes. What do you think about that? So I think among the scientists who are working in this space, there's clear acknowledgement that ultra-processed foods come in all shapes and sizes. Some are clearly more harmful for our health than others. And it's the overall dietary pattern that, that matters. If it's 50-60% of our diet um, that, that's characterised by ultra-processed foods, that's when sort of ill health consequences start to kick in. Um, and what we should be talking about is, is rebalancing the diet towards a lower proportion. And in that rebalanced diet, there's, there's still space for convenient foods. Um, I don't think ultra-processed foods have to be banished entirely from the diet. And I think the foods that, that we should be talking about removing from the diet um, first, or, or at least minimizing their consumption, are the classic junk foods that, that most people are aware of anyway. So I wouldn't want anyone to fret too much uh, about a tomato sauce from the supermarket. But isn't really the the sort of bottom line that a lot of these foods that I know in studies have been shown to be associated with obesity and its related health problems are the sort of snack foods that are very easy to eat. So things like crisps, chocolate, sugary drinks, for instance, that, you know, don't provide any calories or don't make you feel at all and may even make you more hungry. Those kinds of foods, which we've always known aren't great to be eating because, you know, if anything, you're eating them in between a meal, which means it's going to be extra calories on top of what you would have in a, you know, other than your three meals a day. Yeah, you're absolutely right that those foods are often unhealthy and contributing to an unhealthy dietary pattern. What research has been doing over the past few years is found that ultra-processed foods are associated with an increased risk of ill health. So there seems to be something more going on than just the classic junk foods and too much sugar and salt and so on that, that we've all been talking about for years. We're beginning to understand now what that bigger picture looks like. Various of the processing techniques employed in creating ultra-processed foods break down the food matrix, the sort of biochemical structure of, of real foods. We eat them more quickly. We lose the phytochemical richness, the biochemical richness. UPFs are often very calorie-dense because they're, they're dry. And when you start eating them more quickly and so on, that, that, that can lead to over-ingestion of, of calories. Well, Rob, thank you very much for coming on and having a chat with us. It was great to speak to you today. Yeah, great. Thanks, thanks very much for having me, Eve. See, when you speak to a lot of these anti-processed food people, they do point to the epidemiological evidence, which I agree. There is a lot of epidemiological evidence, but the problem with that is it is all associations. So... We don't know whether it is the ultra-processed food and the fact that these foods are processed or just the fact that the people who are eating them are also more likely to be unhealthy for a whole range of different reasons. Well, I did gleam over a study that was saying it was comparing two groups of people. The first group was given two weeks to eat unprocessed foods mm -hmm. and then the following two weeks processed foods and the other the opposite. Mm -hmm. So... And it showed that while both groups felt satiated and happy with the palatability of each category of foods, mm. those that were eating the ultra-processed foods ended up eating more calories in the end. 
So even if ultra-processed foods aren't that bad for you, don't you still end up getting more calories? And in the sedentary lifestyle, there's no way that that's not attributing to the obesity issue. But yeah, because ultra-processed foods, as I said, often tend to be higher in calories and higher in salt and higher in sugar and and tasty. And and even though, you know, you could say that you match them in terms of tastiness and a home-cooked meal can be just as tasty. True. But The reason why we eat foods and and our associations with different foods are so complicated. And especially with, I think, ultra processed food, things you might buy in the supermarket, they have become known as treats. So you associate them maybe with, you know, a a nice time (laughs) or your mum going out or dad going out to buy you something nice. And that's a good memory. And therefore, you're more likely to be attracted to that kind of food. I think it's so complicated the way that we eat. For a whole bunch of reasons, a lot of these foods we do tend to snack on and eat more often. But that's not because they've been made in a factory. That's not because something alien-like and whimsical is going on in, you know, Bogner Regis factory. I don't know where the factories are. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's making them terrible and and. It's just that we're eating too much of it. It's We're eating too much of it because it tastes nice and it's easy to eat a lot of. So what's the solution? Well, <laughs> I mean, Rob suggested it's a government thing. So isn't I, it? I think reformulation is a, is a good idea. And but the thing is, the government have already put quite a lot of pressure on food manufacturers to reformulate. And it's already happening. Yeah, I agree. We've reduced sugar in a lot of breakfast cereals for children. We've reduced sugar in ready meals. I do recognize the difference between the cereal aisle here and the cereal aisle in America. Yeah, it's a candy aisle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, take Weetabix, for example, Mm. perfectly healthy, really good source of fiber. Also, most of our cereals, if not all of our grain based cereals are fortified with lots of different vitamins and minerals for children. So if the government is doing their best, we go back to the individual. Well, it's not the individual. It is a, a cultural societal thing. cultural thing. I hate to say it, but give people more money. Yeah, yeah. It when is a poverty issue. It's, and actually, some critics of the ultra processed food argument will say that this is re- ultimately a class issue. And yeah. what you have is people who are sitting in their glass houses in their diamond shoes. Um, I'm sure not diamond shoes. Right, but, you but know, we get it. I don't know. Um, what's an expensive shoe brand? Uh, Russell and Bromley. Um, I've never heard of that one. And it's oh, great. <laughs> And, you know, who have the time and the cultural capital and whatever else to be able to spend their money at a nice supermarket buying fresh ingredients. I mean, fresh ingredients are expensive, right? And you have to keep topping them up because they go off. There is an argument that fresh food and you can buy these things cheap, but I think it's the time element. And it's not just cooking is a pain. It's learning how to cook healthy. It's a whole edge. It's a language. You know, Mm. I I think about going to the grocery store with my mom growing up Mm. and I would watch the things she put in the grocery cart. So when I grow up, I go shopping for myself Mm. and I do that grocery shopping the same way my mom taught me. Learning a new diet is learning a new language. Yeah, absolutely. Six years ago, I went vegan and I had to relearn everything. Mm. I had to learn how to, you know, cook everything without the things that I cook everything with, you know, and that took time and effort and education. It's also the idea that you can eat healthily on a budget is 
I think, slightly limited because when you're cooking, especially for lots of people, mm. if you have a large family, especially if you have a lot of children, children are fussy. They want what they want. And... Sometimes you need to give them chicken nuggets. Sometimes you need to give them chicken nuggets. You know, it's about having things that are very palatable that you know they're going to eat and you're not going to end up throwing it away. It also means it's stuff that you can do in bulk, put in the freezer. It's all those kind of practical things. And actually, I would challenge anyone with restricted means to be able to cook for a family of five with two or three young children and make those meals from scratch every night and make them very healthy. I, I think that that's nonsense you know unless you want to live on lentils and no one wants to do that no i don't think so with that it's all we've got time for on medical mindful this week you can read all about this and all of the other latest health stories in this weekend's the mail on sunday which you can consume in old-fashioned newspaper form or on the mail plus app or at mailplus.co.uk we'll be back with another topic on medical minefield next week see you then bye